you. We depend Lord, we come on you, God. into your presence right now, God. Lord, we come before you, God, with the praise on our lips, God. Thank you, dear God, for Lord, who you are and what you are, God. Lord, for the, the prayers that you have answered, God, this week, Lord. God, the things that you have done, God, in our lives and in the lives of others, God. We give you praise today for those things, God. Lord, we exalt you this morning, God. Lord, and we invite your spirit right now into this place, God, just to let your purpose and your plan be accomplished in this place today, God. Lord, we thank you, God, Lord, that you are a great and a mighty God, and all things are possible through you, God. Lord, today, God, Lord, we come before you, God, with great expectation, God. Lord, knowing that you are at work, God, and that you have you have specific plans for this service today and for these that are that are here today, God. We thank you for it, Lord. We ask you just to have your perfect will, and we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Why don't you greet someone around you as you're seated this morning? Now, I know that that this is a little uh, little different than normal, but sometimes you just have to do things out uh, uh, in a way to where you can accomplish them. You may be seated today. Um, I know normally we'll have a nice little opening and we'll sing and we'll worship and we'll have some praise services, but so many times when we do that, Man, God just kind of moves and takes control, and I'm all for that. Amen. But I also know that the message that I, that the Lord has uh, has put on my heart today that it needs to be delivered, and so I'm going to start with that. We're going to do things out of order today. Is that is that okay? Amen. We're just going to kind of get the word out there this morning. And then after that, I'm going to invite our praise team to come up, and they're going to lead us in some praise and worship, and whatever God wants to do, Amen. we want him to do. Amen. And so um, we had been doing a, a series on Tuesday night called Foundation Stones. And I've been, uh, I've, I felt for the past several weeks to share the last in that series, number six in that series on a Sunday morning because unfortunately not everyone that is here on Sunday morning is here on Tuesday evening. Right. And I believe that the whole church needs to hear this last one. And so uh, this morning we are going to, uh, we're going to take a little time and we're going to talk about the last of these foundation stones. Um, and that is the altar. And so we're going to talk about that today. And uh, how many here remember what the first five are? You don't have to quote them if you just remember, you know, think back on those. Number one was the Bible. Number two is the oneness message. Number three is the salvation message. Number four is holiness. Number five is evangelism. And these are all foundation stones that we cannot 
move in our life, that we have to build our relationship with God, that we have to build our life on if we are going to be built on that firm foundation that the Bible talks about. And so uh, today we are going to continue on talking about the altar. Now, the word altar is actually an ancient word, and it signifies a raised place where a sacrifice was made, and that sacrifice signified consecration to God. Consecration meaning uh, meaning to set apart or identify something as, as being for a holy purpose, set aside to God for God's use, for God's glory, for, for the, the use in, uh, in the things of God. So when we talk about being consecrated to God, we are identifying ourselves with God and saying that, that through his, his reign in my life, through the, the spirit that, that dwells within me, through that, I have become consecrated to God. I have become set aside for his use. I am holy. I am, I am his, and, and it's not for the world's use or for my own use, but it's for God's use. Amen? Amen. Amen. Now, um, uh, let me give you what, what one writer said uh, of, of consecration. He said, consecrate means to be filled with an open hand or filled with the power that is in that open hand. When we think about it, God's right hand signifies power. And so it, it's not a closed hand, but it's an open hand. And the open hand is, is the extending of, of giving something to someone. That's what the, the word consecrate in the Bible means is, is that open hand that is extended. It is God extending his open hand of power to us. The means, the direction, sounds like what happens when we receive the Holy Ghost, right? Right. We receive that open hand of God, the power of God yes. to work in us and through us. Right. Now, let me give you a few examples of some people that build an altar. Noah built an altar immediately upon leaving the ark. As soon as he had experienced that power of God, that, that amazing miracle that took place, he built an altar to God. Abraham built an altar when he first set foot in the promised land. When he separated from Lot, he built another one. And when he prepared to offer Isaac, he built another one. Isaac built an altar when God renewed his covenant with him. Jacob built an altar when he was reunited with his brother Esau and when God changed his name to Israel. Moses built an altar after the battle with Amalek, where Joshua and Caleb held up his hands. You remember the, the account there? He called it Jehovah Nisi. And he also built an altar for all of Israel after they pledged to keep God's law. See, early individual altars were made of earth or stone. 
but they could not be made out of hewn stone. Stone that had been worked by, by the hands or by tools. Do you, does anyone know why that is? The principle here is that God decides how an altar is to be constructed, not man. See, when we start to put our hand to the things of God and start saying, well, God, this is how you have to work, we start desecrating things. We start trying to control things. And God is in control. Oh, we, we, you know, sometimes we have this, this sense of, of what God is trying to do. Or maybe we have the promises of God to, to tell us what he's going to do. But so many times we're quick to uh, try to figure out, well, how is God going to accomplish that? You know? And listen, God has so many ways that he can accomplish things. We don't need to, to try to limit God and, and, and tell him how to do what, what he's already declared he's going to do. Exodus 20 and 25 tells us, And if thou wilt make me an altar of stone, thou shalt not build it out of hewn stone. For if thou lift up thy tool upon it, thou hast polluted it. God says, no, I made the stones. You just take what I've already made and use them. And, and and present that to me. Then it's then it's my plan. It's it's what I've done. It's it's my purpose. Yes. When God wanted a permanent altar for His people, He once again gave Moses the exact details of how it was to be built. He he didn't leave it to man to decide how to build. You know, to, to, to build that for him. God said that the brazen altar, uh, when, when he gave those directions, he, he gave some specifics about it. You can read about that in Exodus. But the altar, one of the things that God said is that it is to have four horns. Now, what is, a, what, what is the horn of an altar? Anyone? Power. It's the power. Yeah. Horns, generally, if you have a, a, an animal that has a, a horn, um, you know, some sort of a, a, a system of horns on their, you know, on their head, they, um, those are, are, are a sign of power. That's their, that's their weapon. What a horn really was, was it was the, the corner of the altar. It was used as a corner piece, and it, it would protrude upward, but it's where those would join together. Today, if you think of a if you think of a table, you generally have in the corners you have something to where those corners will join into that leg or that corner that'll protrude up, and that gives it the strength. That's what a that's what a horn was. It represented that strength, that power. As I said, horns were the chief, chief source of attack and defense for animals, and, and they're, they're all about power. And power comes from the altar. Yes. Our power comes from the altar. Yes. Right. Psalms 18, 
verse 1 through 3 tells us, I will love thee, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my strength in whom I will trust, my buckler and the horn of my salvation and my high tower. I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised. So shall I be saved from mine enemies. Through God's power, we're going to be saved from our enemies. Luke chapter 1, verses 67 through 69 tell us, And his father Zacharias was filled with the Holy Ghost and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he hath visited and redeemed his people, and hath raised up and horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. He was, of course, referring to Jesus Christ, who, who became that horn of salvation, the power of our salvation. The horns, another important thing about the horns were, uh, they were where uh, the, the place that the blood was applied. Leviticus uh, 4 and 34 tells us, And the priest shall take of the blood of the sin offering with his finger and put it upon the horns of the altar of burnt offerings and shall pour out all the blood thereof at the bottom of the altar. And so the, the priest would come in and they would take that blood from that sacrifice and they would take their, their fingers and they would dip it in and they would, they would mark the corners of that altar, the horns of that altar with that blood. And then they would take the remainder and they would pour it out on the base of the, the altar. But the blood had to be applied. And there was fire on the altar that was never allowed to go out. Now, I don't know about you, but trying to keep a fire going for a long period of time, it becomes a challenge. Yes. You can't just keep loading wood on it and expect it to burn. It begins to build up ash. It begins to uh, uh, develop uh, voids within that fire. That there are things that have to be tended to. And so the priest had to tend to the fire that was on the altar day and night to make sure that that fire never went out. Leviticus 6 and 13 tells us that. says the fire shall ever be burning upon the altar. It shall never go out. Now, you know, we're talking about this altar, but see, there were some benefits to the altar because a man who had killed someone accidentally could flee to the sanctuary. They could hold on to the horns of the altar and they could be saved. A man with a death penalty, if you will, could run to the altar and be saved. Amen. Hmm. Exodus 21, 13, and 14 says, And if a man lie not in wait, but God delivered him into his hand, then I will appoint thee a place whither he shall flee. But if a man come presumptuously upon his neighbor to slay him with guile, thou shalt take him from mine altar that he may die. 
See, now, the only time that we find that law being used was in 1 Kings, okay? And let, we're, we're going to talk about that for just a minute. David is old. He's somewhat feeble at this time. He's almost at the point of death. And Adonijah, his son, and Joab, his nephew, each plot to set themselves up as the next king. Contrary to David's wishes. Yes. David had, had, had already made it known that he wanted Solomon to be the next king. But they decided, no, we have other plans. Adonijah, let's talk about him for a minute. He was David's son. He was heir to the throne after the, the deaths of Ammon and Absalom. He was set aside, though, in favor of Solomon, but he tries to claim the throne anyway. It was Bathsheba and the prophet Nathan that de defeated his plot. And Solomon was crowned king, and it was at that point that Adonijah fled to the altar. Now, Joab was the other person that this law was used, uh, that used this law, and he was the nephew of David. He was the captain over David's armies. He had killed Abner with a dagger in revenge for death of his brother uh, Asahel. He secured the death of Uriah the Hittite for King David. Remember how, how, how that all went down. He also killed Absalom in a brutal way against King David's orders. He killed Amasa with a dagger because David chose him as captain first. Sounded like this guy had some real issues. He supported Adonijah but fled to the altar when their plot failed. See, now, there's differences in these two men. Men. And Adonijah is spared, but Joab is killed right in the tabernacle. Why is that? Does anyone know why that, that difference took place? Because Joab's crimes of murder were premeditated. See, there's a legal difference between them, but there's also a spiritual difference. Let's take a look at these two accounts. If we look at 1 Kings chapter 1, verse 50 through 53, it says, And Adonijah feared because of Solomon, and arose and went and caught hold on the horns of the altar. And it was told Solomon, saying, Behold, Adonijah feareth King Solomon, for lo, he hath caught hold on the horns of the altar, saying, Let King Solomon swear unto me this day that he will not slay his servant with a sword. And Solomon said, If he will show himself a worthy man, there shall not a hair of him fall to the earth. But if wickedness shall be found in him, he shall die. So see, King Solomon sent, and they brought him down from the altar. And he came and bowed himself to King Solomon, and Solomon said unto him, Go to thine house. Now, we see that, that 
this man, Adonijah, he ran to the altar and he actually got up on to the altar. He positioned himself up on there. There's something about our position with an altar. Second King or First Kings chapter two tells us the account of Joab. It says then tidings came to Joab, for Joab had turned after Adonijah, though he turned not after Absalom. And Joab fled unto the tabernacle of the Lord and caught hold on the horns of the altar. Seems like he's doing it right. But it says, or, or continues on, and it was told King Solomon that Joab was fled unto the tabernacle of the Lord, and behold, he is by the altar. Hmm. Then Solomon sent Benaniah, the son of Jehoiada, saying, Go fall upon him. And Benaniah came to the tabernacle of the Lord and said unto him, Thus saith the king, Come forth. And he said, Nay, but I will die here. And Benaniah, Benaiah <laughs> brought the king word again, saying, Thus saith Joab, and thus he answered me. And then the king said unto him, Doeth as he said, and fall upon him, and bury him, that thou mayest take away the innocent blood which Joab shed from me and from the house of my father. See, while Adonijah is found on the altar. Joab was just found by the altar. There's a difference. Oh, I, I know it seems very subtle in the reading, but there's a difference to a sacrifice being by the altar and being up on the altar. It's, that, that sacrifice is not has not been made until the thing that was by the altar has, has yielded itself, its life, and been placed up on that altar. There are many church members today that are, they're, they're like religious tourists. They see the sights, but they don't live there. Mm. All right, let me, let me just preface what the, the remainder of this message. I know some of you are, are going to hear this message and you're going to say, oh, pastor, that's hard preaching. But let me, let me tell you that the preaching that is coming forth today is coming in a spirit of love. It's because I love you. It's because God loves you. Yeah. And it's because God doesn't want you just to be around the altar. God wants you to be on the altar. Yes. God wants you to make sure that yes. you are saved. To make sure that the blessings of God flow to you. To make sure that, that, that God's will is done for you. Right. Amen. That's right. Amen. <laughs> it's very possible to die within sight of the altar. There are people today that I dare say are in churches. They're sitting on pews. They're hearing uh, messages from the Word of God today. Right. But spiritually, they're dead. Right. Mm -hmm. 
if the Lord were to return right now, there will be those that will remain in the church when the rapture takes place because they have not allowed themselves to live on the altar. Mm. Lord, help us. See, because to be on the altar would mean that we would have to endure the blood, the remains of the sacrifice, the continual heat from the coals, from the fire that was burning. We would have to endure some things. Right. Oh, but it's worth it. My flesh rebels against the altar. My flesh doesn't want to be up on the altar. My flesh doesn't like hard things. Right. I, I, I want an easy life. That's right. Mm. That's what our flesh longs for. But God says, no, this is my way. This is the way that I require. Mm. Adonijah had a spirit which said, my hope is built on nothing less. I, 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 my, my only hope for salvation is I have to be obedient to the word of God. I have to run to the altar and not just be by it, not just be in the same room as the altar, but I need to crawl up on that altar and I need to stay there. Right. Oh, come on. Romans 12 and 1, Paul writes and says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. So we're instructed as the church to live on that altar of sacrifice. Now, I, I look at this and I know many people question, say, well, why is that my reasonable service? Why would, why would he write and say, well, that's a reasonable thing for you to do? It's not reasonable for me to, to present myself as a sacrifice. Oh, in our carnal minds, it's not. Oh, but if we begin to look at what God's done for us. Mm. See, when someone asks me why is it reasonable to be a living sacrifice, I like to remind them because we were under or we were living under the death sentence of sin. Remember the scripture that says the wages of sin is death? We were under that death sentence with sin. Huh. But Jesus Christ purchased us with his own blood and he, he paid the price to ransom us from that death penalty and to give us life. See, what we don't like to recognize as, as individuals, as human beings, our own carnal and natural mind doesn't like to identify as being a servant. But the Bible is very clear that we are servants and that we will serve one of two masters. We're either going to serve God or we're going to serve Satan and this, this carnal flesh. Yes. Right. That's right. 
So now we have to choose who we're going to serve just like the children of Israel had to do. Let me read to you a passage out of Joshua. I love this passage. I think this is such a powerful uh, message in the word of God. Joshua 24, beginning in verse 14, says, Now therefore fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in truth. And put away the gods which your father served on the other side of the flood and in Egypt. And serve ye the Lord. He didn't mince words. He didn't, you know, kind of beat around the bush. He said, listen, don't do just what your fathers did. Don't go down the same path. Don't do what everybody else is doing. But make a decision today that you're going to serve God. Make up your mind today that it doesn't matter what's going on in anybody else's life, but I'm going to serve God. Amen. Mm. He went on and said, And if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom ye will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the flood, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land ye dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Amen. And the people answered and said, God forbid that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. For the Lord our God, he it is that brought us up and our fathers out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage and which did those great signs in our sight and preserved us in all the way wherein we went and among all the people through whom we passed. And the Lord drove out from before us all the people, even the Amorites, which dwelled in the land. Therefore, we will also serve the Lord, for he is our God. Sounds like they're making a pretty strong declaration. Sounds like they, they actually get God. Right. They see that, listen, we couldn't have saved ourselves from Egypt. There's no way that on our own we could have entered into this land. We couldn't have uh, made ourselves survive the trip to the promised land. We couldn't have passed through all of these enemies and been saved. We couldn't have come into this land and driven them all out on our own. But God did that for us, and so we're going to serve Him. Amen. <laughs> Evidently, Joshua knew a little something about this these people, though. Because... Verse 19 tells us, Joshua said unto the people, You cannot serve the Lord, for he is an holy God, and he is a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgressions nor your sins. If ye forsake the Lord and serve strange gods, then he will turn and do you hurt and consume you after that he hath done you good. And the people said unto Joshua, Nay, but we will serve the Lord. Amen. Joshua gave them that warning saying, Listen, I know your past. I, I know how fickle you are. I know how that you say today that you're going to serve God, 
But as soon as a little, you know, a little trouble comes up in your life, as soon as a little, you know, something comes up that you feel like you're missing out, you're going to start turning away from him and say, well, I don't know why God requires out of me. I don't know why God won't let me do this. And he said, you'll turn from him and you'll go back and start serving those other gods because they'll let you do whatever you want because they're not even gods. They're just little idols that are made of wood and stone. They're something that man's created. See, today, every one of us face this same choice. Who will we serve? And it's a choice that we make every day. When I woke up this morning, I had to make the choice. You woke up today and you made the choice. Today is the day that I serve the Lord. Right. You know what? When you wake up tomorrow, you're going to have that same choice staring you in the face. Mm. Are you going to serve God today? And, and it seems in our lives how the, it, it, it kind of depends on how, the, how, how yesterday went as to what I'm going to do today. Amen. But you know what? It doesn't know or it doesn't matter what yesterday, ha you know, what happened in yesterday. It doesn't matter to me what yesterday looked like. I served God through whatever I went through yesterday. And today, I've made up my mind that I'm going to serve God because I know that no matter what I face, God is going to get me through. God is going to be right there with me. I can trust in God. God is able to do all things for me. And so if I'll just hold on, I'm going to come out victorious. Do I serve God today? Or am I going to give in to sin and the, the will of my flesh? See, because I cannot serve both. I can't serve God and this flesh. Right. I can't do it. See, people today are looking for a third option. They're, they're looking, well, you know, I know the Bible says that I'm going to serve God or I'm going to serve flesh. But, you know, I, I, you know I, I'm going to serve sin. So, you know, I'm, I'm looking for that third option. I just want a little bit of both. Let me just kind of, kind of, you know, find the middle ground here. And, and I'll serve God on all the big important stuff. But, but when it comes to the, the things that I don't, I, I don't feel are so important, let me just kind of do what my flesh wants. You've just crossed over the line and you're serving flesh. Because it's this is not a there's no gray area in serving God. You either serve God and you're holy and you do the things that God wants you to do, or you serve flesh and you do the things that this flesh wants you to do. There's not a, a middle ground there. See, there are people today that they want God, but they want him on their own terms. We have people today that are sitting in churches trying to negotiate the terms of their service with God. God does not negotiate. God is not a God that changes his mind. 
There is no shadow of turning in him. He set the terms and we either choose to accept them or we reject them. That's why the scripture says holy, acceptable unto God. That's the only way that God will allow us to serve him is if we are holy and acceptable to him. That's why there are some Christians today that are miserable and trying to serve God. I know you've seen them. There are people in churches that their life seems horrible. Right. You know, we're, we're supposed to, you know, I mean, Scripture says that the joy of the Lord is my strength. Yes. And, you know, as Christians, we should be able to walk around with a smile on our face and we should have the joy of the Lord no matter what our situations are. But I've seen some Christians that, that just continuously walk around looking absolutely miserable. They look horrible. The world looks at them and goes, I don't know what you got, but I don't want it. <laughs> and it's because they have not sold out to serving God. They're trying to, to satisfy two masters. We can't do it. They have rejected the terms of service to God, but they, they still want to be his child and have the benefits, and it just won't work. Listen to the words that Jesus spoke in Matthew 5. He said, You have heard that it was said by them of old time, Thou shalt not kill, and whosoever shall kill shall be in danger of the judgment. But I say unto you that whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment and whosoever shall say to his brother Raka shall be in danger of the council but whosoever shall say thou fool shall be in danger of hellfire Jesus took it steps further saying listen it's it's more than just killing it's attitudes that go behind it and words that you speak and he said, therefore, if thou bring thy gift to the altar, if you come and want to sacrifice yourself at my altar, you bring that gift and, and, and try to put it up on the altar, don't do it. I'm not going to accept it. Leave your gift at the altar, he contended. Well, he says, and, and there rememberest that thy brother have aught against thee. Leave thy gift before the altar and go thy way and be reconciled to thy brother and then come and alter thy gift. Right. See, God says, no, you, you gotta you, you gotta get some things right before you can be a before you can be an acceptable sacrifice. Right. You, you read in the law, you go back and you look at all the typology. Why was it that, that you, know, you couldn't just bring any animal to be a sacrifice? It had to be the best of the flock. It had to be without spot. It had to be without blemish. It had to be the best. That's what God requires of us is I want your best. I don't want you to just half-heartedly try to serve me. I don't want you to just kind of show up on Sunday and say, okay, Check, I was there. See you next week. Forget those, you know, the, you know, I'm not even talking about those Christian and Easter Christians. 
I'm talking about ones that, that show up every Sunday, but throughout the rest of the week, they're kind of like, eh, it's, it's God. I'll see him on Sunday. I, I'll talk to him then. The rest of the week, God's not really concerned what I do. As long as I, as long as I make the effort to be there on Sunday. That's not the way God works. And I begin looking at, at verse 23 here because I thought it was interesting. He said, Therefore, if they bring thy gift to the altar, and there rememberest that thou, brother, has aught against thee. What is aught? Anybody know what aught is? It actually means any person or anything. So, it's not if you've sinned against your brother and they're mad at you for it. It's not just that. It's if any person has absolutely anything against you. It doesn't matter how big, how small, or what it is. Go deal with it. Go deal with it quickly. Go make it right. Don't let any spot or any blemish remain so that you can come and offer that gift. Mm. See, because if you come before the king, you need to bring a gift. That's customary. If you want to enter into the presence of royalty, you can't just walk up and say, hey, I need to see the king today. No. If you're requesting an audience with royalty in, this, in the natural here, you have to bring a, a gift. It's, it's customary that you do that. See, our gift to God is our self and our praise. Our self, that's kind of self-explanatory. I offer all of who I am to God. I, I don't just offer God this arm right here and say, oh, look here, I'll wave this to you. But, you know, while I'm doing this, my mind here is, is off over here thinking about this or doing something else. No, I'm offering you all of it. Here I am. I'm, I'm, I am offering to put myself on that altar of sacrifice and God, all that I am, all that I do, it's yours. It's not just these lips and this tongue that offer some flowery speech and say, oh, man, I really love God. You know, God is great. He's a, he's a wonderful God. Oh, man, I tell you what, there's no God like my God. It's, God's, God's not just after our lip service. He's not just after some, you know, some random acts of kindness. God wants us as individuals. But see, Scripture tells us that our praise is also a gift that we offer as a sacrifice to God. As a matter of fact, in Hebrews it talks about the fact that, that uh, uh, our praise is the fruit of our lips. It's fruit that has been born out of the, the type of tree that we are. If, if our life is, is on that altar, 
then our lips are going to offer a certain type of fruit. It's more than just those, those little simple things of saying God is great, God is good. But it's, it's I, get to, uh, I get to begin to, to talk about specifics about God's goodness. If I've got my life lived in an, on an altar, then I talk about God is good because this is the prayer he answered for me today. This is what God did for me this week. This is how God used me this week to, to minister to someone else. This is what God allowed me to participate in this week. This is how God used me for his glory this week. This is how God healed my body. This is how God blessed my, my life. This is how God allowed me to be a vessel of healing to someone else this week. We begin to, to produce those fruit and lift those up before God saying, here, let me give you praise that's very specific, God, because my life has been lived on an altar. Amen. You begin to look at it, you begin to see. I'm not going to take the time to go into all of it, but Matthew chapter 7 uh, verses 17 through 20 talk about the how that every good tree brings forth good fruit and corrupt trees bring forth corrupt fruit and you know the 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 you know the fruit by the tree that it's on and if there's a tree that just brings corrupt fruit it's not good for anything but to be cast into the fire right but you know barren trees are also dealt with in the scripture because there are some people that won't live on the altar and they're not bad people. They'll, they'll come to church. They're, they're here. But they're not producing any fruit because they're not living on the altar. Remember, we're a living sacrifice. We're on the altar living for God. Sacrificing our, our thoughts, our desires, our will, our flesh, who we are, sacrificing my time. Right. Right. Yes. Mm. He, he talks about it, Matthew chapter 21, verses 18 through 20. He talks about that, that fig tree. It says, Now in the morning as he returned into the city, he hungered. And when he saw a fig tree in the way, he came to it and found nothing thereon but leaves only. And said unto it, let no fruit grow on me henceforth forever. And presently the fig tree withered away. And when the disciples saw it, they marveled, saying, How soon is the fig tree withered away? Jesus said, Listen, if you're barren and not producing fruit, you're not doing any good for my kingdom. I, I have learned and trying to you know trying to grow fruit trees and vegetables and gardening and and even with animals i've learned that listen if you are not producing and giving back to me in some way i don't need you on my land right. <laughs> I, I went through a, a a time with with my chickens that you know, all my, my chickens had stopped laying and no, they weren't bolting and, and no, it wasn't just the time where they, where they slacked off. They just weren't laying anymore. And you know what? I got rid of them. 
Because I don't need something that's not producing something. What are we producing for God? How many of you here today are believers? You, you believe that Jesus is God. How many of you here, and you don't have to raise your hand, but think about it. Okay. How many of you here have been baptized in Jesus' name, repented of your sins, filled with the Holy Ghost? You're, you're walking around with the Spirit of God dwelling within you. Right. Yes. This is just a side note. Okay? But it's something I want you to consider. Matthew chapter 16 is known as the Great Commission. He said unto them, Go ye into all the world, preach the gospel to every creature, and he that believeth is and, and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. Verse 17, Jesus says these words, And these signs shall follow them that believe. Catch that? In my name shall they cast out devils. They shall speak with new tongues. They shall take up serpents. And if they drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. And they shall lay hands on the sick, and they shall recover. Now, all of you believers that are here today, I'm just going to ask you, and don't please don't answer. <laughs> this is between you and God. How many of those signs are following you? Because the scripture does say that those signs shall follow them that believe. Now, without you answering, let me, let me ask this question. Is it that God has changed? Or is it that, that we have not made ourselves available and, and taking the opportunity to do those things that Jesus wants us to do. When was the last time you laid hands on the sick to see if they would recover? When was the last time you let the spirit of discernment operate in you to see if someone had a demon and that demon and, and you were able to cast out that demon? Listen, I heard someone ask this and it pricked me in my heart. That's why I'm asking you today. As believers, we have a responsibility to do for God to produce fruit. Those that believe in something in our world today, they take action and, 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 and they get a hold of that cause and they want to make something happen. How much do we believe in Jesus Christ? Have we really taken hold of his cause, of his purpose, and said, I'm going to make something happen today. I'm going to find somebody that, that needs help from God today, and I'm going to make a difference in their life. Hebrews, let me just move on. <laughs> I, 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 I've messed up service now. I've got everybody's mind here messed up. <laughs> Hebrews 13 and 15. 
By him, therefore, let us offer up or offer the sacrifice of, of praise to God continually. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. Like I talked about, the, 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 the fruit that's produced in our life by living on the altar brings a praise that we can give, a specific fruit of praise that we can give to God. See, God won't even accept our gifts or our sacrifice at the altar if we have even the smallest thing, that ought, that is separated. He says, no, go deal with it. Matthew 5, 24, Leave therefore thy gift before the altar and go thy way. First be reconciled unto thy brother and then come and offer thy gift. See, that's why repentance precedes baptism and receiving the Holy Ghost. Right. We have to get rid of sin and get right with God That's before right. we can be acceptable as a sacrifice to God. Yes. Mm -hmm. That's why we're instructed to be holy, for He is holy. Mm -hmm. See, we've made the altar a place of prayer. How, you know, I mean, how many times have we heard, why, why don't everybody stand right now? Let's come down to this altar and let's pray. That's not what the altar is. Right. I, I know that, uh, you know, uh, years ago I, 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 I built these little altars and I gave them to people in the church and I said, here, set this up in your prayer room. But the altar is not a place of prayer. The altar is a place of sacrifice. It's a place of death. It's a place of, of, of dying out to God. Amen. Mm. It's a place of consecration to God. That's why every time I come to this pulpit and I, I present the word of God to you, there are some that, that are going to walk away not heeding that word, and, and they've made a choice. Whatever reasons you have in your life today, you're going to make a choice today. You're either going to obey God, or you're going to obey sin, or obey the desires of your flesh, and, and you're going to make a choice before you leave this place today. But see, when we start letting our, our own flesh start making uh, choices in our life and not letting what the Word of God says and what God's Spirit's directing us to do, we're in danger because Romans 8 and 7 says, because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. This carnal mind cannot align with God's word because it doesn't understand it. It goes against our carnal thinking. James 4 and 4. Ye adulterers and adulteresses. Man, what a way to start addressing the church. <laughs> know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God? Whosoever, therefore, will be a friend of the world is the uh, enemy of God. Now, like I said, James was not speaking to a group of cheaters anonymous here. 
He was not standing up in front of a, a, a bunch of people that are having marriage problems because they've committing, been committing adultery. He's talking to the church, and what he's talking about is, listen, you've been cheating on God. You've been serving, trying to, saying you're serving God, and that you love Him, but you've been serving flesh, and you've been serving other gods, and you've been doing other things that are contrary to His Word, and so you're committing spiritual adultery. See, God wants us to separate from sin. Live holy unto him and let the world know that you're not serving the same gods that they are serving. Holiness has been thrown out of most churches today. There are churches that say, oh, God loves you no matter what you do. Well, yes, he does love you, but he does not condone sin and he will not accept it into his kingdom. I know that that's, that that's harsh. It's hard for us to hear, but God is a holy God and, and God is righteous. And, and if he allows you to sin and, and, to, and to just wink at it and let you get away with it, then he would not be a righteous God. But because of his righteousness and his love, he deals with us about these things. And he says, you know, you really shouldn't be doing that. You know, you're supposed to be consecrated unto me. The, my, my word says to be holy. Or Is that really what a holy person would be doing? Are, are those the thoughts of a holy person? Are those the attitudes and the words of a holy person? Are those the actions that you would have seen me doing when I was walking on earth? You know, we, they, they used to have those wristbands. What would Jesus Sometimes I think we need to have that, you know, written an indelible marker on our foreheads in reverse so when we look in the mirror we can read it. What would Jesus do? Mark, your actions today, how would Jesus respond? When that person cuts you off in traffic and then, you know, drops down to 25 miles an hour when you were doing 70, what would Jesus do? Would he react like you just did? I don't think so. Right. But you know, God cares about us. He loves us. And, and that's why he instructs us, listen, be holy. Oh, I know you're not perfect. None of us are. And, and God says, listen, I, I've, made, I've made provision for that. When you mess up, Come before my throne and, and, and you know ask forgiveness. I'll forgive you. I'll cleanse you of those things. Because you're going to mess up. You're not perfect. We're not perfect. Let me read a passage to you. and I, I know we're, we're, we're covering a lot of scripture today. But it's just, this is to me is just probably the most important of foundation stones is that we have to live our life on that altar. Right. Hebrews 12 beginning in verse 14 tells us follow peace with all men and holiness without which no man shall see the Lord. Now that's hard teaching right there. 
There's not many preachers that get up in the pulpit on a Sunday morning and, and want to preach. Hey, listen, without holiness, you're never going to see God. That, that doesn't go over real well. But you know what? This preacher loves you enough. This preacher cares for you enough and for your souls enough that I want you to see the Lord. And because I want you to see the Lord, I want you to hear the word of the Lord and say, listen, you've got to be holy in order to see the Lord. If you don't have holiness, the word says you won't see the Lord. No man will. Mm. It goes on saying, looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God. Lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. Lest there be any fornicator or profane person, as Esau, who for one morsel of meat sold his birthright. How many people have you heard about that for something so silly walked away from the church, walked away from God? Because somebody didn't shake their hand or somebody looked funny at them or, or somebody made a comment and they just threw it all away and said, they don't love me, I'm never coming back here. Amen. Listen, go to that person and deal with the situation, but don't walk away from God. Don't lose your salvation. Don't lose your relationship. Don't put yourself in a place of weakness where you don't have brothers and sisters that are surrounding you and, and praying for you and encouraging yes. you and strengthening you so that you can make it in the evil days. For ye know how that Afterwards, when he would have inherited the blessing, he was rejected. For he found no place of re repentance, though he sought it carefully with tears. It continues on, it says, For ye are not come unto the mount that might be touched, and that burned with fire, nor unto, unto blackness and darkness and tempest, and the sound of a trumpet, and the voice of words, which voice they that heard entreated that the word should not be spoken to them anymore, for they could not endure that which was commanded. And if so much as a beast touched the mountain, it shall be stoned or thrust through with a dart. And so terrible was the sight that Moses said, I exceedingly fear and quake. Listen, you've not come to that place you're not approaching a God that if you touch the mountain, he'll strike you dead. You've come to a God that is filled with grace and mercy. Oh, we've come unto a God that is holy and that loves us and has made provisions. Though we sin, yet he will forgive us. You've come unto a God that is not looking to kill you, but is looking to redeem you. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Oh, thank you, God. Thank you, God. It says, but ye are come unto Mount Zion and unto the city of the living God the heavenly Jerusalem, and to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn, which are written in heaven, 
and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of just men made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaketh better things than that of Abel. See that ye refuse not him that speaketh. For if they escape not who refused him that spoke on earth, much more shall we not escape if we turn away from him that speaketh from heaven. Listen, today God is speaking to individuals here. God is speaking into our hearts and into our minds saying, listen, I love you. And I want to do good things in you and for you and through you. I want my blessings to flow to you. I, I, I want your life to be all that it can be. Yes. And the path that you're traveling is a dangerous path. It's a path that's, that, that is fought with with perils. Oh, don't walk down that road. Come over here and, and let me lead you down the path that you need to go. The path that will take you into life and peace. Yes. <clears throat> See that you refuse not him that speaketh. Whose voice then shook the earth. But now he hath promised, saying, Yet once more I shake not the earth only, but also the heavens. Mm. And this word, yet once more, signifieth the removing of those things that are shaken, as the things that are made, that those things which cannot be shaken may remain. Wherefore, Wherefore, we receive a kingdom which cannot be moved. Let us have grace. God, please grant us grace. God, let us receive your grace today, God. Lord, let that grace be poured out on us. Whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear for our God is a consuming fire. Yes, amen. The writers of Hebrew here, oh, and this passage gives us such a, a strong message telling us that, listen, you don't have to be afraid of God. This is not the God of the Old Testament that is, that is judging you immediately for the sins that you commit. But this is a God of the New Testament. It's a new covenant. It's the new day. And His grace is available. Oh, thank God. Because when we fail, when we fall, when we stumble, when we allow ourselves to, to take the wrong path or the wrong turn, God's not there trying to destroy us or trying to judge us, but He's saying, hey, hey, you missed it. 
hear my voice and, and come back over here. Come back to me. Let, me. let me talk to you a little bit. Let me heal you. Let me forgive you. Let me wrap my arms of love around you and bring you back to the place that you know you need to be. Church, we all deal with that. Listen, none of us are perfect and we all have times where the Lord brings conviction into our life. And can I tell you, sometimes uh, sometimes because we are in the church, it's hard for us to accept that. You know good and well, and please, I don't want any show of hands, but you know good and well, there have been times you've done some things that you know are not pleasing to God. And God starts bringing that little voice of conviction. You're in service and words going forth. The pastor's preaching. The evangelist is preaching. There's things going on. Maybe it's praise and worship. And you start feeling that little tug on your heartstrings. God saying, come on, you need to come repent of that. You, you need to deal with that. You need to get rid of that. And, and we're, we're, we're sitting there, our, our carnal mind is saying, oh, if you stand up and go to the front right now, somebody's going to think you're a terrible person. Oh, what are they going to say about you? Don't you know, you know, you're, you're a Sunday school teacher. You're an usher. You're, you're one of the ministers. You're, you're this. You're that. You, you've been serving God for 40 years. What are they going to think? Right. I'll tell you what they're going to think. They're going to think, they're human. They're like me. There's times where they fail and they need repentance. I'll be the first one to say that as your pastor, I'm not perfect. I get up every day and one of the first things that I do in my prayer time is I start pouring out my heart to God and saying, God, I need your forgiveness. I woke up today and I'm still not perfect. So that means all day long, yesterday, I'm sure that there's some things that I did that you'd have handled different. There's some things that I, I didn't do yesterday that you know what, I really should have. And we all deal with that. See, that's part of living on the altar is being willing every day to walk back down to, to that altar and say, I don't want to. Well, let me crawl back up here today. All right, God, here I am. I yield. God, I'm coming down off here today. I walked down off here yesterday. I made some mistakes. God, I'm back up here today. I'm here again, God, because I need you. God, I don't want to be one of those ones that, that, that just sit around and I don't produce any fruit for you, God. Lord, I want to stay here. Oh, I know the flames are lapping up around me and it's hot up here and, and it's uncomfortable and, 
And people are probably looking at me and thinking, what in the world is he doing? But God, it doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. I'll endure the smoke. I'll endure the heat. I'll endure the uncomfortableness. I'll endure what anybody wants to say, what anybody wants to think. But God, I've got to live on this altar so that I can be pleasing to you. Yes. Because that's my reasonable service. Reasonable. Because you bought me. You paid a price for me and I'm yours. Sin used to own me, God. Sin used to have control of me. Sin had determined my path and the price that I was going to pay. But God, through your precious blood, through your love and for your grace, God, you got a hold of me and you purchased me and I'm yours, God, and I'm not going to try to serve two masters. God, you've been too good to me and Lord, I'm going to serve you. And whatever it takes, God, I'm here. I'm not walking away, God. I'm not, I'm not content just to be in the atmosphere, God, but I want to be on that altar, God. I want to be the one that my life is going up before you as a sweet-smelling savor. Yes. I, I want my life to be what goes up before you and, and, and you. Ah, oh, yes, that smells good to me. That's the worship. Of a living sacrifice. Yes, that's right. Hallelujah. Mm. Jesus. Let's stand today. Listen, we all need that altar in our life. We all need to make sure that we don't just visit the altar, but that we live on the altar. As our musicians come, I want us today, right now, just to take some, take some time. I know that God is dealing with individuals right here, right now. And I would be remiss if I did not give you an opportunity and a space to repent right now. If I didn't give you an opportunity to allow God To reassert himself as the God of your life.